Welcome to the podcast, Your Time with James Sweetman. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. Thank you for joining me and thanks as well to everyone for their kind comments on last week's episode where I explored the topic of saying no and not feeling guilty about it. It certainly sounds like that's one that resonated with many people. This week I'm looking at the topic of worthiness. We might call it imposter syndrome or not feeling good enough. As I've said semi-jokingly for many years, we all run the gamut between waiting to be found and waiting to be found out. Now, there's a bit of a story to this week's topic. Uh, You might recall that two weeks ago in my chat with Nick Williams, we spoke about mining for your wisdom and then fashioning it into something worthwhile to share with others. And this week's episode is a real case in point for that. Uh, And I actually referred to it during the conversation uh, with Nick So if I take you back three weeks ago, again, avid listeners will know that I spoke with Shirley O'Neill, another great episode. Shirley is a UCD lecturer. And on the podcast, we spoke about change and staff engagement when working from home. But prior to recording that episode, myself and Shirley were having a general chat about a range of things, shooting the breeze, as it were, as the topics we could explore when recording the episode. And during that chat we touched on the topic of worthiness or imposter syndrome and I shared a few thoughts that popped into my head but it took Shirley to say to me that a few of those points that I shared were meaningful and when she reflected it back to me I scribbled down a few notes and well this week's podcast is the end result of that. It reminds me of that scene from the movie Working Girl that's going back to the 80s I'm showing my age here uh, where Melanie Griffith's character Tess is asked where she got her business idea, the one that Sigourney Weaver's character stole from her. And in that you could you could trace her, her thought processes back to um, an article she read. Um, but for me, um, it reminds me of the, you know, that moment, that spark of recognition or synergy where the proverbial light bulb goes off, as it were. So that's the story behind this week's episode, which perhaps contains this bonus point of staying open to inspiration, valuing your ideas, recognizing, you know, that it's often in conversation with others. Do we realize that perhaps there's things or insights that we take for granted that can still be useful to someone else? So that's the story behind this week's episode, which is all about self-worth, valuing ourselves, recognising where and how we add value. Um, And as I say, it's a pertinent topic for many people, myself included. Most of us have unconscious beliefs around money. They raise their head when we are quoting a fee for our services or negotiating a salary at an interview or performance appraisal. At the root of these concerns is our perception of our lack of worthiness. And if you struggle to believe in the value of what you do, the service you're offering, your expertise or the quality of your work, you know, nothing will magnify these beliefs more than having to place a monetary value on what it is you do. A cocktail of limiting beliefs and habitual behaviours often block us from assessing ourselves in a rational and objective way. The vast majority of us run the programme of imposter syndrome, that familiar fear that others will find us out that an employer or a client would realise that we're simply not as good as they naively think we are. Into that mix, you know, we add excessive people-pleasing, the concern of letting others down and the fear that they might think poorly of us. 
you know, we'll usually top this cocktail off by being exceptionally tough on ourselves. So it's no wonder we cannot see what others see and that we often struggle to acknowledge our own worth. Undervaluing ourselves will always feel like self-betrayal. And that's a bitter pill to swallow, you know. But how can we expect others to know our value if we don't know it ourselves? Of course, at the same time, we operate in an economy where the law of supply and demand prevails. Uh, but to find balance, a reality check is required. And that's really what my focus is this week. So I'm going to share with you five factors, all beginning with the letter E. You know me, I like my alliteration. Um, and these factors will widen your perspective and encourage you to take a more objective stance. You know, and of course, this is not about drifting towards, you know, delusion or cockiness. It's about viewing what you're bringing to the table in a rational and balanced way. The first point is all about acknowledging and owning your experience. Most of us, perhaps rightly, spend most of our time looking forward. We focus on the next challenge, the next project. After all, that's how we grow and evolve. Rarely do we look over our shoulder and acknowledge our achievements, the successes we've had, the positive difference we've made. So here, just for a few moments, a few questions for you to reflect upon. You know, over the last few years, what achievements are you most proud of? How have you added value for past clients or colleagues or employers? What benefits have you helped others accrue? Again, might be clients or colleagues or the end customer. When I work with uh, clients helping them prepare for interview, we will always go through the job description of the role that they're targeting. And most job descriptions will state a minimum number of years experience is required. And then when I'm working with interview skills clients, you know, we'll explore how and why their unique experience will be an asset to that organisation. But whether we're applying for a job or not, it's always useful to know why your experience is valuable, uh, because that is partially what a future client or employer is buying when they engage you. They're buying your experience. When we break down our experience, common themes tend to surface, such as diversity of work, the range of challenges you've overcome, the different results that you've achieved. A hidden but key component of experience is risk identification, the ability to predict challenges and heed the early warning signals of potential pitfalls. Experience enables you to draw parallels between what's happening now uh, or what could happen in the future um, and how that is similar to what you've experienced in the past. It's almost like, you know, that T-shirt being there, done that, bought the T-shirt. Um, the ability to predict enables you to be proactive when it comes to contingency planning and offering solutions. Of course, experience sharpens your judgment. That's really what it's about. Again, when I put my interview skills coaching hat on during competency-based interviews, it's this judgment that's being assessed when you're asked to share examples of how you've applied knowledge and skills. But again, outside of a, the context of interviews, your work and life experience when married with your self-awareness and rational assessment is the pathway to wisdom. And it's that wisdom that employers and clients are buying. And of course, wisdom is valuable. Point number two in taking a more rational, uh, logical approach to assessing our own value and worthiness is about expertise. So when it comes to self-assessment, our approach is often skewed to focus on what it is we don't know or areas where we don't feel comfortable. It's all too easy to overlook the skills and expertise we've developed over the years. 
So again, here's a few questions for you to ponder. You know, what aspects of your work come naturally to you? What do others often compliment you on? What skills have you gained or honed over the last few years? What competencies have you drawn upon to achieve results? A trap we can easily fall into here is comparing ourselves to others, which will always undermine our self-confidence and fuel imposter syndrome. As I always say, nothing steals our joy more than comparing ourselves to others. And that's true in work and outside of work. You know, we see it on social media when we see other people's curated lives and the upside of their successes. You know, this leads us to setting unachievably high standards for ourselves. You know, you might write articles, but you're not as good as writer as someone else you admire, or you deliver presentations, but you're comparing yourself to Oprah. You know, they're not valid comparisons. Of course, we can take inspiration from others and we can learn from colleagues and competitors and leaders in their industry, um, but it's pointless to compare ourselves to them. When we assess our expertise against others, what we're really doing is comparing what we see on their outside. And as I say, that's usually heavily curated or edited for social media. We're comparing that with how we feel on the inside, and that's never valid. It's about running your own race. The only worthwhile comparison is owning where you are now and where you feel your potential resides. And remember, too, that when we admire a skill or a quality in someone else, at minimum, the seed of that skill or quality is in you. Otherwise, you wouldn't recognise it in them. Point number three is empathy. Now, I've spoken about empathy before and how it is a critical part of the modern manager's makeup. You know, traditionally, from a management perspective, two other E words uh, got the headlines, expertise and execution. Execution being the ability to apply experience and expertise to achieve a desired result. But as anyone who works in business knows, rarely do we achieve much in isolation. We only achieve with and through other people. So empathy allows us to have a perspective on a situation other than our own. It allows us to put ourselves into other people's shoes and see the world through their eyes. It facilitates the application of our skills and judgment. It's really the foundation of effective leadership, customer service and communication skills. The irony is that for those of us who would classify ourselves as empathetic, and I would hazard a guess that many of you tuning in are empathetic, uh, we, we will often show compassion to others, but are often far less compassionate towards ourselves. You know, we can tailor our communications and approach um, based on the different audiences or people we're interacting with, but we're far less flexible when it comes to changing perspectives on our own capabilities and worth. Uh, we will take things personally, not fully owning our skills and achievements. Uh, when others sing our praises, we don't necessarily believe them, but if we receive some negative feedback, we will accept that as gospel. So if you run the pattern of imposter syndrome or talk yourself down or fear the negative judgments of others, well, that's empathy, but it's what I label the shadow side of em empathy. It's the tendency to take things personally and second guess ourselves. The strength of seeing the world through other people's eyes can, without awareness, give your inner critic the ability to project that harsh voice of self-criticism onto others. So you'll, you, know, you will think that others are or will judge you negatively when in reality you are the only one doing negative judgment, both of them and of yourself. So the E words keep coming. Number four is energy. So if I, as I've said many times, leaders are responsible for the energy they bring into a room or onto a Zoom. 
um, in modern parlance. Um, employers or clients are buying your energy, your enthusiasm, um, as well as your motivation, you know, in addition to your expertise and experience, of course. For me, energy is all about positive, conscious intention, your purpose in showing up. We always have control over our intention. It's simply a matter of conscious awareness. People respond to your intention, and that's how you engage hearts and not just minds. You know, setting your intention is an inside job, but it extends externally through the concept of personal branding, you know, the experience you want others to have when they interact with you. So if you're passionate about what you do, whether it's writing, organizing events, giving massages, coaching, doing accounts, just speak passionately about it. Remember, people don't buy services. They buy you, they buy your energy and they buy the love you put into what you do. You know, I'm quite sure you will have come across this famous quote by Maya Angelou many times before, but it is just so powerful and true and it bears repeating here. You know, as Maya Angelou said, people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And that's all to do with energy. You know, and that that quote, as I say, has become a bit of a cliche, but all cliches are based on truth. And for me, that quote neatly encapsulates the concept of energy and vibration. So the last point, the last factor to help us take a more objective or balanced view of our worthiness or how we're adding value is evidence. Another E word, evidence. It's human to question ourselves, to strive for better and to be cognizant of how others might view us. Without an element of self-questioning, we can easily slip into complacency and we wouldn't want that. But too much of anything is never good, and excessive self-questioning leads to self-doubt and undervaluing ourselves. I often speak about the balance between confidence and competence. Too much of the former, and we're arrogant. But so often our confidence levels do not match our competence levels, and therefore we're simply selling ourselves short. If you can catch yourself running the program of imposter syndrome or excessive self-doubt, you know, for me, that's often that anxious feeling in the pit of my stomach. That's the early warning signal um, and a reminder to me to, you know, to ask myself, well, what evidence am I using to support this thinking? You know, just for a moment, picture yourself as the judge in a trial for rational truth, asking the prosecutor, who is your internal self-critical voice, uh, to show evidence to prove their case. There's a parallel here with um, presentation skills, because when I deliver presentation skills workshops, I say that we we filter our experience of delivering a presentation through our emotions. And if unchecked, these emotions can overtake us or they'll simply confirm our habit of negative judgment, uh, the one that we bring to the top of the room with us. Whereas in reality, from a presentation skills perspective, your audience is really only thinking what's in this for me. They're not that overly concerned about how you're feeling. And this, this way of thinking is equally true in broader work situations or indeed life. You know, a potential employer is interested in how you can be of benefit to them, not the self-doubt you've brought into the interview or meeting. You know, it's a harsh reality, but if you want others to believe in you, you have to believe in yourself. A useful exercise here is to put yourself into a future client's or employer's shoes. You know, what do they see that perhaps you overlook or discount too easily? You know, would they see qualifications, testimonials, a positive social media feed, evidence of past achievements, a track record of delivery? 
you know, taking this external position helps us see the wood from the trees. And that's really what a, a rational approach is all about. So there we have it. There's the five factors. I'll do a quick recap in a minute. Uh, but a few closing reflections. There's a quote I came across a little while ago by David Schwartz, and he says the price tag the world puts on us is just about identical to the one we put on ourselves. You know, this quote reminds us not to undervalue ourselves, but it's also an invitation to take a deep breath and to step into an expanded version of you, you know, that ironically you've worked hard to create and that deep down you're eager to fully embody. Employers or clients are not silly people, I always say. If they're offering a salary or willing to pay a certain fee, they believe that this is the price they have to pay commensurate to the value that you will add to their business or to their lives. In the same way as others can see our strengths more clearly than we can see them, others can often see how we add value, oftentimes more clearly than we see it ourselves. Clients, employers, colleagues often look at the evidence of what we do, but we tend to assess it through the filter of our emotions, the limiting beliefs that skew what we focus on. You know, we will tend to judge ourselves through the lens of self-doubt and that inner critical voice. So those five factors, all beginning with the letter E, help us to be more rational in our self-assessment. You know, so there's our experience, looking back for a bit, acknowledging everything we've come through, overcome or achieved, our skills, the expertise that we've picked up. Um, and in there, of course, there was that bonus word of the ability to execute. You know, that's where experience and expertise marry together. Then empathy. You know, most of us are empathetic people, but so often the flexibility we show to others when we communicate them, we don't often apply to ourselves in terms of how we view ourselves and our own capabilities. And then the final two were was energy, you know, setting your intention, the enthusiasm around how you show up, um, and then evidence, you know, what what are the facts in terms of what you've achieved? What would someone outside of you see that perhaps we discount too easily? One or two final bits here, and this one I always uh, remind myself of, you know, your value does not decrease based on someone else's inability to see or acknowledge your worth. You know, if I use some analogies there, you could be the best jazz player, but not everyone likes jazz and can't rate jazz. You know, you could be a wonderful sushi chef, but not everyone likes sushi. In this, uh, keeping this analogy going, it's like, well, who do you give authority to to rate your work? And oftentimes we give it to people who are unqualified to acknowledge our worth. Um, just something else to consider. And lastly, a, a question I ask myself frequently in this area, uh, particularly prior to making decisions or taking actions is, well, am I doing this because I don't feel worthy enough? Or am I doing this from a place of worthiness or self-love? Let me repeat that question because it's a it's quite a quite a wisdom seeking question. You know, am I making this decision or taking this action from a place of worthiness? Um, or am I or am I doing it because I don't feel worthy enough? Um, and that one for me will always help me access my wisdom in the moment. Um, and help me see the difference between acting from a place of fear or acting from a place of love, which I think is, is a good insight to have. So hopefully you found my musings this week on that topic of worthiness or valuing ourselves, particularly in a work context, 
uh, useful. Uh, as ever, if you've enjoyed the episode, do consider giving me a rating or making a comment. Uh, that always encourages me to keep going. And if you know of anyone else who might benefit from this episode, feel free to, to pass the details on to them. More information about me, James Sweetman, is available on my website, jamesweetman.com. And until next week.